0: But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to worship your holy name, to thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and sending him that he may save us from our sins, that we also may possess his righteousness and the life that is in him, and by faith. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of grace, for this is such a glorious gospel that those who were condemned to die now can live on account of the work of another, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we just pray, Lord, that you would draw your people to believe this gospel and to come to the simplicity of this gospel and not to stumble at the rock of offense as many are stumbling because of Christ. We pray this morning, Lord, for your blessing upon your word. May you give us clarity. May you give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray also for those who shall hear, that you may grant them hearing for the sake of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11. And John chapter 11 is in the book of John chapter 11. <laughs> the eleventh chapter comes after the tenth chapter, <laughs> and we are going to be reading verses one to four, but I think we are going to work our way to the fifth verse also, and this is going to be from the new king james, and this is what the text says: now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick therefore the sisters sent to him saying Lord behold he whom you love is sick when Jesus heard that he said This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And if you want to go to verses 5 and 6, they say, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And the title of our sermon is going to be, This Sickness is Not Unto Death. This sickness is not unto death. And the alternative title is, He Whom You Love Is Sick. He Whom You Love Is Sick. There are seven miraculous signs, seven miracles that Apostle John called signs. Apostle John called them signs that were recorded for us in the book of John that happened before the Lord was put on the cross. But these were not all the miracles. These were not all the signs that the Lord performed in His ministry But these were purposefully recorded for us. The Holy Spirit went and picked out particular signs that he may teach us the gospel. Very purposeful. And so John tells us in John 20 verses 30 and 31 and says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so if you still remember the signs that Jesus performed, we had at the beginning of John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we have Jesus changing water into wine. And this was the first of the signs and showing us that Jesus has power over the elements, but also that this was the beginning of the new creation, the beginning of the new creation. And in John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, we have healing of the royal official son in Capernaum the healing of the royal official's son in Capernaum, and Jesus is showing that he has power over sickness. He has power over the human condition. And in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, we have Jesus healing the paralytic at Bethesda, at the pool of Bethesda, talking of which I had a guy on some radio station in Zimbabwe, claiming that he has, he's a prophet, he has a pool of Bethesda in Zimbabwe that is dipping people and they're getting healed. So, Stan, you need to catch the next flight to Zimbabwe. Take your pilot (laughs) with you and, actually, I know the name of the guy. His name is the pool of Bethesda in Zimbabwe, just so that you know where it is. (laughs) And Jesus here, again, is showing that he has power over the human condition of sickness. In John 6, verses 5 to 14, we have the feeding of the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus is teaching that he is the true bread from heaven. He is the true bread that gives life. And in John chapter 6, verses 16 to 24, we have the Lord walking on water and Jesus is showing that he also has power over the elements of the created world. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So Jesus is not just an ordinary man. And in John 9 verses 1 to 7, we have the healing of the man blind from birth. The man who was born blind and Jesus has power over blindness, even the blindness from birth, even spiritual blindness and he alone is able to remove it. And in John 11, that takes us where we are. In verses 1 to 45, we have the raising of Lazarus from death and that is saying Jesus has power over life, and over death. So that is very purposeful by the Holy Spirit to record even Lazarus at this point. Lazarus is not the miracle that happened in John 2 as the first miracle. Lazarus is the last recorded miracle that Jesus performed before he went on the cross. And we shall be working that understanding and teaching why that is. So these signs testified of who Jesus is. The signs were for introducing Jesus to us as it were and telling us that a greater than Solomon and Jonah was here. If you still remember, the Lord was saying that the queen of Sheba, when she heard about the wisdom of Solomon, she came to hear the testimony of Solomon and the Lord says, well, the queen of Sheba is going to enter into judgment with this generation because, guess what? A girl than Solomon is here, and you don't even want to hear him. And the men of Nineveh are going to enter into judgment with this generation. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of a Jonah. And yet, one who is greater than Jonah is here, and you still do not repent. So, Jesus is the Logos. He is the word of God who has tabernacled amongst us. That is, he has taken up human flesh. He has clothed himself with sinless humanity. So as you are seeing Jesus, you are seeing the Logos, the word of God clothed with sinless humanity. And being clothed this way, he became the Christ, the Messiah who was also and is also the son of the living God, who also is the I am, the I am of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. So Jesus did not become the son of God by incarnation. He was always the son of God. And being the son of God does not mean that Jesus is inferior to God because John is writing and teaching us that Well, this Jesus, even though he looks lowly in human form, he actually is the Logos. He was always in the beginning with God. And guess what? He created all things. So he was always the Son of God, but he became the Son of Man by incarnation. And the Son of Man was his favorite self-designation or title. His sonship to God was not of being born of God, but relational. It related Him to God in this way. And the Jews clearly understood what that sonship entailed. They understood that sonship was a claim of deity, not of being created. Because if it was just a claim of being created, they would not have had any qualms with it. So the Jews give us a clear understanding of what sonship really means with respect to what Jesus was saying. If you still remember, in John 10, 33, they said to Jesus, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Why? Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So that is the definition of sonship with respect to what Jesus was saying. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be God himself. And the appearance of this Logos who is now clothed in human flesh is the beginning of the new creation. A new creation that is necessitated or that has been necessitated by the fact that the old creation was plunged into sin and darkness and death by the sin of Adam. And so the old creation which is which has its center on this world because sin entered through what happened on this planet. Sin did not enter the universe through what happened on Mars, but here on earth. So the earth is the center of the work of redemption because sin entered in the Garden of Eden, whose location was here on earth. And so the old creation, this world, this wilderness, was plunged into darkness because of sin, and that is why the darkness did not comprehend the light of the word of God, Jesus Christ, as to overcome it. The darkness of this wilderness wanted to swallow up the light. They wanted to put out the light of Christ, but light by its nature cannot be swallowed up by darkness. It is the nature of the light that it dispels the darkness. It swallows up the darkness instead. And if the old creation that is now plunged into darkness came into being, this is very important understanding, because if we don't understand that, we won't understand the book of John, especially where we are right now, John 11. Why did God put this story this way? This story is expanding what John has already told us in John chapter 1. So this gives you some extra detail of the theology of the work of Christ, the work of the Logos. So this is the thinking that is going on. If the old creation that is now in darkness came into being, By the work of God. Because when John opens John chapter 1, he gives us that understanding that this Logos who has come is the one who created the old creation. But this old creation is now in darkness. Okay, So the old creation came into being by the work of God. And so if this old creation has to be redeemed, it also needs the same one who created it the first time. And so the appearance of Jesus is for accomplishing the work of the new creation. The end of recreating fallen humanity after the image of God in righteousness and holiness. So you can't remove this understanding from the events of the garden. Men have lost their image of God because of the sin of Adam and so the work of the new creation is for the restoration Of that image. But now, more than the image that Adam had, now we are being conformed to the image of the Son of God Himself. And so, all those who are in the new creation are born again. You see, the new birth is given to you right there in John chapter 3 to say the Logos who has come is beginning the new creation with the wine. But not only that, it's not about the wine, it's not about the water into wine. It's about the birth that happens from above. You must be born again. So how do you get born again? Not by your mother, Nicodemus. You get born again by the one who first created you. Okay, so in John 1.13, John then would say, those who received Christ, the ones who received him, were these who were born again, not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So salvation is a work of God and that is why John opens John chapter 1 and says this of Jesus. You can go to John 1 verse 1 to 5. John opens John chapter 1 with some very high introduction of Jesus. And he says, In the beginning, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and there are people who are saying we have to change the way that we relate to God and not use terms like that. We want God to be feminine so we are going to put a she. She was in the beginning with God and that's just foolishness and that's what men do But John continues and says, verse 3 of John 1, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So John is giving us the resume and the qualifications of one who is able to do the work of the new creation as to restore it. He says salvation is not of blood and is not of the will of the flesh and not the will of man. And that is just a very complicated way to say that salvation is not of man and that salvation is not helped by the efforts of man because it is beyond the power of man. It requires one who is the Logos. It requires one who is more than an angel because John could have easily said, well, Angel Gabriel is the one who brought things into existence or he helped to get things into existence, but he goes and reaches very high and says, no, it has to happen by this one who is the Word of God who created all things. And it is this one who took up human flesh for the purpose that he may become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So see the movement of the revelation. He tells you that this word was in the beginning and he gives you a profile of the word and says he was God. And as to his works, he created all things. But not only that, he has taken up human flesh. But not only that. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the new creation requires more than just saying, let there be light. That's not how the new creation is going to happen. It requires the death of the one who created it. And it is by this death, the death of the creator, that sin is removed. And so John the Baptist, as I referenced earlier, said in John 1, 29-30, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he would say, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. So again, that's a profile of the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God. This man is preferred before John. And that means he is of the higher rank than John, whose sandal straps John is not even worthy to untie or loose. And so this Logos, who is the life, who is the light, is also the Lamb of God, which means the Logos now has been fitted to die, because in the imagination of the Jews, a lamb was given to die. So John is preparing you to let you know that this Logos has appeared for the purpose of dying for the purpose of recovering the old creation. So his appearance, the appearance of the Logos, his invasion into the wilderness of man is for the purpose of salvation. That he may achieve his own death for the sake of his people who are dead darkness dwellers okay? so the darkness of sin and its consequences cannot be removed by flashlights or kerosene lamps that's not how you're going to flash out the darkness it does not work like that i wish it was that simple do you want salvation you go to home depot and get you a flashlight it needs the death of this one who is the good shepherd of the sheep. it is his death It is his death alone that can reverse and has reversed the disaster that was caused by the sin of Adam. And it is his light that cannot be put out that alone gives sinners the light to approach God. You and I need a light that does not run out, a light that can't be put out because that's the only way that we'll be able to see our way to the Father. And his death, the death of the Logos, the Son of God, the God-man, is not just a mindless or needless death, but it is how the new creation is going to be made. His death is the means and the only way of redeeming the old creation. So the old creation needs a spiritual redemption as much as it also needs a bodily Redemption. And so it groans in pain, and that's the language of Romans. The old creation is groaning in pain, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. So the death of the Logos is central, is key, is essential, is important to the work of recreation. The work of recreation is the work of reconciliation. And that means salvation. So when we are talking about recreation, we are talking about reconciliation with God. That's what is happening. And so if we have a gospel that has no nails, scarred hands and feet of Jesus, we essentially have no gospel because that is the only way that salvation is had. For there is no new creation, no salvation that can happen without nails, scarred hands and feet of the Logos, the Lamb of God. And that is why the scriptures It's just insane how this teaching is so interwoven and they give the same testimony over and over. Listen to this. In Galatians 6, 15, Apostle Paul writes and says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And and that statement is similar to what John says, that not by the will of man, nor of blood, no, of the, or the will of the flesh. He's saying your circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing. That's not how the darkness is removed. It is the work of the new creation that removes the darkness. Second Corinthians 5.17 Apostle Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the work of the new creation as the old creation is not a work of man. has never been the work of man. Children do not help in their own birth. And so sinners being born or having been born in the womb of darkness cannot help in their own new birth. They can't and they don't. It is the work of God alone. And so all those who are in Christ are a new creation because of the birth pangs of Jesus. They are now in the second, the new and the better Adam. See what Apostle Paul says. If anyone is in Christ, why in Christ? Because that's where the new creation happens. The old things, the old Adam has passed away and behold, all things have become new and the new creation then is the true identity of those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, all things have passed away. They may still be coming to your mind but they have already passed away. And that's God's testimony, not my testimony and not your testimony. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, those who are of the new creation because they are born again and have been born again to a living hope in Christ Jesus. And that's the distinction that the Holy Spirit is making. And the Holy Spirit is saying the ones who are in Christ, who are of the new creation, are born again to a particular type of hope. It's a living hope, not a dead hope. The ones who are not part of the new creation, they are born to a dead hope. But we are born to a living hope. We are born from above and that hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the new creation is the appearance of salvation in its fullness. And this salvation requires that one be born from above, born again from heaven, born again by the Holy Spirit. See the location of where the origin of the work is coming from heaven, not from earth. But born again when the Son of God who came from heaven has been lifted up on the cross. When He said, when I have been lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So the cross was the deliverance room of all those that are born of God. And there's no baby, no child that is born without the fluids of water and blood. And so our birth in him also came by water and blood to deliver us and to make us God's children. So that was the significance of the piercing of the Lord on the side and blood and water gushed out and God was preaching that this is how the new birth is happening. And if anyone does not have this new birth, there's nothing that can be done for them by themselves or by other men to make them the new creation. But Remember the location, it has to happen from above and that is saying you have no power over it. And as I said also, that this work of salvation is beyond the will or decision or power of man. So then let us not take salvation lightly and make it a common thing because when we are always hearing about the gospel, we forget the significance of what God has accomplished for us in Christ. Salvation could not have happened by our choice. It cannot happen by our choice because it is beyond what we even desire for ourselves. (laughs) If salvation was based on our choice, was dependent on our choice, it would remain forever undone. And this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that God's biggest gift to you and I was to put us in Christ. There's nothing that compares. God put us in Christ. We did not have the decision to say yes or no. We did not... And could not agree or disagree with it. And yet God was pleased to do that. And not only that. He gave us the new birth. He rebirthed us in Christ. He recreated you in Christ. And not only that. He also counted you among the righteous. Because of Christ. And to give you by grace alone. Without any contribution. Life and righteousness. That is in Christ Jesus. So salvation did not happen and does not happen when one walks the aisle. That formula of salvation is too inadequate to explain the work of Christ. Salvation happened when the Logos appeared, when he showed up and when he was raised on the tree of shame. This is where the transaction of the new creation happened. And in time, what you experience is the application of that birth, is the application of that work of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so that takes us to the story of Lazarus because the story of Lazarus is not just about how Jesus has power to raise the dead, which he does. But remember what I told you about John. The story of Lazarus is not removed from John chapter 1. It's building on the testimony of John chapter 1. And is building on the testimony that John has been weaving along the way as he is driving us to John chapter eleven. But even more, John is driving us to the cross. But he has said this in John five twenty five. John recorded the words of the Lord and said, "Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who." Here will live. And he will continue in verses 28 to 29 of John 5 and says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And this is what we know from the Testament of Scripture. All men are born spiritually dead because all sinned and died in Adam. But according to Jesus, there are some who shall be raised to life in this time by the new birth. In this now time by the new birth. There are they who are in the now is time who here the voice of the Son of God. So there are two time periods that Jesus is talking about. There now is time and the hour that is coming. So these who hear the voice of the Son of God, they command to come to life. You see, Jesus is claiming deity. How do you rise? How do you get someone to rise by just hearing a voice? John is telling you that this Jesus is the same one who is in Genesis chapter 1. It is he who said, let there be light. So in like manner, in the resurrection, he's going to speak. And by this command, the resurrection is going to happen. And some are going to come to life, to the resurrection of life. And these who have come to the resurrection of life in this time, in this now time, are the ones who are going to come to the resurrection of life in the hour that is coming. So we have two resurrections that are happening. With respect to just one group of people, we have a group of people who hear the voice of the Son of Man now. They are raised spiritually. They believe the gospel. They have the life and righteousness of Christ. But these die. But later, the voice of the Son of God He's going to speak again. And they are going to rise to the resurrection of life. These are the ones who have done good. They did not do good in their own flesh. They've done good because they are in Christ. They've done good because they are in Christ. But in the hour that is coming, there is going to be a universal resurrection. And those who were already resurrected in the new birth, shall have a resurrection of life, as I said. That is eternal life. And those who did not have the first resurrection of being born again will be resurrected to condemnation. So your being born again now is an installment of the life to come. It's an installment of the resurrection to come. So if you don't have anything right now, this is a down payment. God is giving a down payment of the work that is going to accomplish in this second resurrection. Okay. So that is saying to see the resurrection of life, one has to experience two resurrections. The first resurrection is the one that causes one to believe the gospel in the now is time. That's the first resurrection. And everyone who is resurrected now by a new birth is guaranteed the resurrection to life in the hour that is coming. If one is born twice, they will die only once. And if they are born just one time, they will die twice. So that is very important. And this is what we are talking about. And you see that when you elevate the understanding of the gospel, suddenly you are not talking about buying jets anymore because that does not factor in To what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the last things. And we talk about eschatology. Eschatology means the things that abide. The things that remain. So Jesus is the last Adam. He is the Adam that remains. He is the Adam that abides. And so if you have to remain, you have to be in this Adam who abides. That's eschatology. So the appearance of Jesus himself is eschatology. And a lot of people will say, oh, this position, this millennium position, whatever. True eschatology is the appearance of Jesus himself. Because he's the life and the resurrection. We're going to be talking about that. It's going to be very good. I'm looking forward to it. And so in the story of Lazarus, we see much theology surrounding the installment of this resurrection we see how the resurrection is going to happen and who is going to do it and how he is going to do it. It is the Son of God who is going to speak and all the dead are going to rise because he is the resurrection and the life. There's no one who speaks themselves to life. You cannot decree and declare yourself out of your own grave or cause your own birth like a lot of the teaching that we hear. The Son of God is he who has to speak because God appointed him to speak and gave him the authority to speak and praise the Lord when he spoke, his power was irresistible. He said, come forth from your sins and you came forth and he shall speak again and you and I shall rise to the resurrection of life. So this salvation thing is not about paying our bills or finding ways to organize the closets of our lives. This is about salvation, judgment, and everlasting life. And so God arranged that the death and resurrection of Lazarus would be the last miracle performed by the Lord Jesus. Why? Because it was for preaching the death and resurrection of his son. The death of Lazarus was a death that was anticipating the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was a preview of what is going to happen or what was about to happen to Jesus because in this miracle, at the end of this miracle, guess what happens to Jesus? He's going straight to die and then resurrect. And so you cannot understand the story of Lazarus outside looking at it as a stage that God prepared to preach his own son. And so Lazarus has to die. Everything is happening and setting the stage for Christ to be lifted up. So now the hour of glorification Is drawing near and so the Lord says this sickness, in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The sickness of Lazarus was not unto death. Why? Because it was for the glory of God. Lazarus got sick and died that God would glorify himself. See cause and effect. God did not look for someone who was sick in Bethany and, or heard from the neighbors that Lazarus was sick. He did not go about knocking from door to door to see if there was anyone coughing or just about to die in the neighborhood. It is he who made sure that Lazarus would die, Lazarus would get sick, that he would be raised by his son and that anticipating the death and resurrection of his own son so the sickness that is being talked about is coming at more than more than one level. It has the immediate context of the life of Lazarus, but it has a salvation aspect to it. And so today we are going to look at one point and then next week we have to do a part two of sickness not unto death and bring the salvation aspect of what that was saying in the light of everything that we know. So let us backtrack some to the beginning of John 11, verse 1 to 3. And this is what John says. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so Lazarus had two siblings. Two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha should have been likely the older sister because of the arrangement of the names here as the Holy Spirit inspired the text. But that's just my speculation. But most likely she was the oldest of them all. She was Miss Hospitality, Miss Busybody. She fed the company or entourage that the Lord brought to their house And we know that the Lord rebuked her for getting too occupied with preparing the food that perishes, that is getting too much absorbed in Christian duty and forgetting time to sit down and learning about Jesus, which is, according to Jesus, the only needful thing. But Miss Mary was a theologian. She loved to sit down around the Lord's feet and learn about Jesus and the gospel. And so I think by the Holy Spirit recording this testimony and giving that testimony to us was saying these family had a very strong Christian witness. And that is why I think their names were written for us and for those of their time. They carried a very strong Christian witness during the formation of the church. In Luke 10 verses 38 to 42, Luke records and says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Mother, mother, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. John 12, verses 1 to 8. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha saved, again his sister Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. (laughs) But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So that is the profile and the relationship that this family had with Jesus. And Miss Mary, Miss Mary the theologian, is the one who anointed the body of the Lord for burial. So she has been learning theology from sitting on Jesus' feet. And she's doing this before the Lord has even died. So what you see from there is correct doctrine informs correct practice. She had good theology, and so she applied good theology when it came to the anointing of Jesus. But John says in John 11, verse 3, going back to John 11, verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. It is these two sisters, whose brother Lazarus had gotten sick And was at the point of death. So the sisters sent a message to the Lord. They did not go themselves. They were so close to the Lord that they seemed to know where Jesus was. They knew the whereabouts of Jesus. And so they sent for him. They did not have cell phones in the time. So they did not send him a text message. They did not send him a WhatsApp message. They sent someone who seemed to also have access to Jesus. And the message that was sent was, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. See that there was no mention of the name of the one who was sick. For it was supposed that the Lord knew exactly who it is whom he loved. (laughs) And the sisters were saying, Lord, he is sick. And we are just letting you know because we do not know what to do. We need your help, but we are not going to suggest to you what to do with the situation, when and how you are going to do it. But we just want you to know that it is not looking well with the one whom you love. Mary and Martha cannot suggest to Jesus what they want him to do, Because they have no power over him. They cannot command Jesus. They cannot tell Jesus what he has to do. They can only tell him their problem. They are not in command of him. But they come anyway. They pray anyway. Because that statement is prayer. That is prayer, my friends. And it is showing dependence on the Lord And acknowledging his sovereignty over the situation that they prayed for. And waiting for the Lord to interpret and act on the situation as he sees fit. So this is a prayer to the Lord to tell him of the sickness of their brother. And and see what they did not say. They did not appeal to anything about Lazarus. They appealed To what was in the Lord and said, the one whom you love is sick. The one whom you love, not the one who loves you. This one whom you love is sick. Lazarus is loved of the Lord and that is the only basis of appeal. How and why is Lazarus loved of the Lord? Was it because he had some cute sisters? Was it because of the work that the sisters were doing for Jesus and his ministry. Was it because Lazarus was such a cool guy that Jesus could not help but love him? No. Lazarus was for loved of the Lord. He was for known of the Lord. Lazarus was elect, chosen in Christ and chosen of Christ. And it is this one who is sick and the sisters say, Lord, come help us That he may not die and save him. That he may not die and save you and us the grief of the death of our brother. Lord, we know you love him. And you don't want him to die, do you? So Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Very simple prayer. It's prayer. We could actually take off from that and do another message just on prayer because of that. Because that's the appropriate way to approach God. And it turns out that Jesus knew about the sickness of Lazarus. Verse 4, John 11, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now the Lord tells us the purpose of the sickness. He says, it is not a random sickness. It is not because Lazarus drank too much beer and would recover from his hangover. He says, This sickness shall not lead unto death, and that is to say, Death was temporary, And that is to say, Death is not going to have a stronghold on Lazarus. Death is not going to have a final say on whom the Lord loves. That is to say, Lazarus is not appointed to death, but his sickness was appointed by God so that in his dying, God would glorify himself and his son through it. And so the sickness of Lazarus was so that God would glorify himself through it. Death was not the end of the sickness. The glory of God and Christ was the end of the sickness. And the death of Lazarus was not because God had been sleeping and the devil had come and caused it. God is claiming responsibility for the sickness. But As I was reading and preparing this message, I saw people trying to say that God did not cause it. So who caused it? Jesus said, it is for the glory of God and so God caused it. <laughs> Let us see what Jesus said of the man born blind in John 9. John 9 just verses one to four. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, God is he who caused this man to be born blind. Why? That the works of God should be revealed in him. And this is not new theology. Exodus 4, 10-11. Exodus 4, 10-11. Moses at the burning bush he is speaking to the angel of the Lord who is Jehovah, who is Christ. And Moses is supposed to go and tell the children of Israel that the deliverer has come. And Moses begins to make some arguments and saying, well, I'm not the right guy because I don't speak well. Then, then Moses said to the Lord, <laughs> verse 10, did I say Exodus four, ten to 11? Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am Slaw of speech and slaw of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? You have not I, the Lord. <laughs> so the Lord takes responsibility for everything that man is. And it is not sinful for God to do whatever He wants, He is God. God is not a man that his ex should be judged as righteous or unrighteous by men. And this is the biggest folly among a lot of professing Christians. They want to weigh God on their scales. Dusty scales. And we don't do that. You can't do that. The Lord is God and he does whatever is good in his own sight. In 1 Samuel 2.6, he says, the Lord kills and makes alive; he brings down to the grave. And he brings up. He does all those things. And Job would say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's no time to play and say, oh, this was not good. This was, no. And so the death of Lazarus is for the glory of God and for the son of God to be glorified through it. What does that mean? What does that mean? If God is glorified and the Son is glorified in the same event, what does that mean? It means the Son of God is God. God said, my glory I will not share with any other. And so if Jesus has to be glorified in the same event that God the Father is glorified, that tells you that Jesus has a very high view of himself. He sees himself as equal to God and he has no trouble sleeping over that claim. There's no problem with it. And so in raising Lazarus from the dead, God's glory was being revealed. Jesus is attesting to his deity also. The power of God in the resurrection was being shown. The picture of the resurrection of those that the Lord loves was also on display. Jesus is showing us what's going to happen to those that he loves. Because he loves Lazarus. The one, behold, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus says, this sickness is not unto death but to the glory of God as I raise him. But there's more. The true glory that Jesus was talking about was not the resurrection of Lazarus. The death and resurrection of Lazarus does not serve anyone and did not save anyone. It was just a rehearsal play before the big act of the death and resurrection of the Lord himself. John twelve twenty seven. The Lord says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You see, Jesus always gives a reason to why things were happening. He gave us a reason to why the man was born blind in John 9. That the glory of God, that the works of God may be displayed, revealed in him. He tells us about what is happening in the death of Lazarus. That God may be glorified. And now he says, of his own hour, for this purpose, I came to this hour. So there's nothing that is happening at random. And then he will let us say in John 17, verse 1 to 2, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And so the Lord is giving a double confession the glory of God displayed in resurrecting Lazarus, but also pointing to the death of Christ, the real glorification of God in His Son on the cross. John 11, verse 5 to 6. And those are going to be our last verses. And there's glorious gospel teaching in those last verses. If I have done a separate sermon, we would have 12 sermons in John 11. So we are going to finish this. John 11, 5 to 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, John adds the other detail and says, Jesus did not just love Martha. He loved the sister also. Mary And he loved Lazarus. And now that is some very good testimony. I would love for the Holy Spirit to also say about me, now Jesus loved James and his wife and his children. And I pray he does. And I pray that he loves you all. How can I tell that Jesus loves me also? Because I believe that he is the son of God come in the flesh. That's the testimony. See that the Holy Spirit was purposeful to separate the siblings out. And say that Jesus loved them individually. They had one common last name. But the text does not say, and Jesus loved the family. The Holy Spirit singled out the individual names. Why? Because salvation is not given because of family name, but by individual election. Salvation is not given because the parents are Christian. That teaching is not true. Otherwise, all the children of everyone who is Christian, who has ever been Christian, would be saved. But our experience denies that. Many who were and are raised Christian, depart the faith, they depart from the faith, and die in the apostasy. Why because salvation is particular, so Jesus loved Lazarus not because of Mary or Martha, but because he loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary and Martha not because he loved Lazarus, but because he loved Mary and Martha separately from Lazarus. This was not a combo meal. His love for Mary or Martha was not mediated by his love for Lazarus. Lazarus was not the mediator of God's love towards the sisters. Jesus Christ alone is the mediator between God and man. And if Lazarus is loved of God, it means he is loved of God for the sake of Christ. This family is just a family that has vessels of mercy. <laughs> Elect according to grace. They were not loved because they cooked for Jesus and the disciples. They cooked for Jesus and the disciples because Jesus loved them. And he came and made a with them and showed himself to them. So when he had, verse six, that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That does not make sense. If you hear that the one that you love is sick, you don't stay two more days. You get on the highway to my way of thinking and you go above the speed limit. My son, Tawanda, was not, no, Munasha was not feeling well on Thursday. And grandpa called me. And when I got the call, I did not think to stay another minute at work let alone two more days. I ran to the car and drove home to take him to agent care. But Jesus, for some reason, does not understand anything about agent care. And he does not work like that. Because our emergency is not his emergency. He comes when he wants because he's not limited in what he can do to provide the solution. He's not limited by where he is to provide the solution. His hands are not short to reach. The sisters wanted Jesus to prevent the death of their brother, but Jesus wanted to present to them a resurrected brother. We want God to prevent difficult situations. But God wants difficult situations so that you can see his power in recovering you from the situation. The end is going to be the same, but with glory to God. But it is not necessarily going to be the way that we expect him or want him to do things. He is not going to do things according to our suggestion. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, Isaiah says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so the sickness does come even to those that the Lord loves. Those that the Lord loves are not immune to the difficulties and challenges of life. Those that the Lord loves are not immune to job losses. They are not immune to sicknesses that even lead to death. They are not immune to divorces. They are not immune to marriage problems. They are not immune to certain sins that are very degrading. And even when they find themselves in those situations, they agonize and pray and say, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Is in trouble. But the Lord seems not to have heard. He seems not to be coming. But we know this. We know this for sure. The message got to him. The message got to him. He had the message. He had the prayer. And he already said, this sickness is not unto death. He knows the outcome. Why? Because it is all about God's glory. God does not waste any opportunity that he creates to glorify himself. And so the glory of God is heightened in the eyes of those in distress by his slow response. If everything happens too quickly, we will not see the glory of God. And so he delays to give us victory in a particular situation In a health situation, overcoming a particular besetting sin, the Lord delays and you're begging him and you're praying that this sickness will go past you. But he does not seem to be responding. Why? Because he does not want us to think that our friends did it for us. And so that we don't go and hug our friends and say, I don't know what I would have done without you. Why? Because that is taking glory from God. He wants us to say, In my distress, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me. So he delays for another two days and leaves you With a situation that your friends and all your resources cannot help. And in the meantime, the situation is not getting any better. And so we continue praying, Lord, come down before my son dies. What is God doing? He is teaching. He is teaching and teaching. But what is he teaching? What is he teaching? Apostle Paul Talking about the glory of the revelations that he had when he was caught up in the third heavens. He gives us a snippet into the understanding of why the Lord sometimes delays or does not give a particular response to our request. Second Corinthians twelve. We are going to finish our teaching just working this understanding all the way to the end. Second Corinthians twelve six to ten. The Apostle says, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears for me. The apostle Paul says, Boasting in himself would have caused people to think of him above what he truly was. And so, For God to reduce him, to trim him to the level that he could be seen by people for who he truly was, God brought him trials. Listen to this, verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure and so that he should not be exalted above measure, above what is appropriate for him, appropriate to his level as an earthen vessel, as a nobody. God brought him down. He measured him down. He cut him down. He trimmed him down to his level, to his proper size, by sending him a messenger of Satan a thorn in the flesh to buffet him that he should not be exalted above measure. He has to stay in his limit (laughs) about what he was actually worth. And so God brings trials and situations that are tailor-made to fit us or to shrink us back into our appropriate size, appropriate size dress. Because it is when we have been cut down to our appropriate size that we become humble and useful to Him. And that is when the Christ-like qualities begin to take shape and to form in us. Verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Concerning this buffeting, this clipping of His wings and cutting of His feathers, He pleaded with the Lord that it may be removed from him. That it might depart from him. Why? Because no one wants an uncomfortable situation. And so we plead to have the Lord to remove it. And say, Lord, why, why me remove this thing? And we even begin to make false promises. And say to the Lord, Lord, if you just remove this, I will tithe all that I get. (laughs) even my gross. And that is another false covenant that we make with God when we are under distress. But Apostle Paul says, and he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord does not answer the request as given. He does not take suggestions on how to deal with the situation. And Mary and Martha understood it when they sent the message to the Lord They only said, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. And they stopped there. Apostle Paul went further to say, can you remove it? And so the sisters were submitting to the Lord's sovereignty to do whatever he wished with the situation. And it was painful to submit to it because sovereignty sometimes may just decide against our greatest wishes. And so, what is the proper response, Paul? How are you to deal with this situation? You are carrying a burden, and you are asking the Lord to remove it, and the Lord says no. So, wh- what am I supposed to do then? Therefore, most gladly. Oh, Paul, why are you, why are you glad? I mean, there's nothing to be glad about. It's painful. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul saying? He's saying the power of Christ is made strong in weakness. Weakness empties us of strength. It empties our vessels that are full of ourselves it empties our pipes as it were because when we are by ourselves, our pipes are full of us. We are the ones who are flowing in our own pipes. And so Christ cannot flow his power into a pipe or vessel that is already full. And so for you to experience his power, to experience his flow, he has to empty you by creating weakness. But... We do not want to be weak. <laughs> I don't want to be weak. It sucks to be weak. Because weakness creates dependence. And I don't want to be dependent. I'm, I live in America. I can't be dependent on anybody. Okay? We need to get our own oil. And not only that. I want to be independent. I want to have my own money. I want to pay my own bills. We want to be strong and independent. So that Christ may depend on us. And so we get frustrated when we seem not to be getting stronger when we come to Christ. Very important. This is this wonderful stuff. Just be patient. It's worth your time. But the Lord gave me some wonderful teaching on this. We have a problem as sinners. And the problem is that we do not know how God works. And so we come to him with false expectations. And that is why we keep hitting our heads against the wall. To come to Christ means coming to the place of weakness. You are coming in weakness so that his power may be made strong. You cannot come to Christ and continue to be strong by yourself, in yourself. It's not going to happen. It does not work like that. Why? Because he wants you to experience this power and his power is made perfect in weakness. So weakness is part of the equation of the Christian conversation and walk. Let's see if this theology has been taught by God in some other place. Israel is tired of the wilderness life. And so they murmur and they grumble and they say to Moses, we are so tired of this bread. We love this miserable bread. We are just tired of it. We are thirsty and there's no food. Give us McDonald's menu to choose from. That's what they're saying. We're tired of this stuff. Just give me something. Is there a Wendy's somewhere down the street we need a more balanced menu. Some chicken sandwiches could help. <laughs> and hear this Numbers 21 6 to 8. So the Lord sent fiery serpents in the light of all that complaining and grumbling. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they beat the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is beaten when he looks at it shall live. So the people are not happy with the diet. They are Tired of eating the same thing over and over. They want some French fries with ketchup, onion rings, and maybe a slasher. Charlie. But what is it that they were tired of? This is a revelation that I say I never had anybody. And the Lord did not reveal this until I started working on this message. I know some other things. I've talked about this connected to John chapter 3, the raising of the born serpent. What is it that they were tired of that caused God to be mad at them as to kill some of them? Manna was a type of Christ, a type of the true bread from heaven. And so in complaining against Moses and against God, they were saying, we are tired of having too much about Christ. That's the issue. We are tired of hearing about Jesus, every single day, change the menu. Give us something that makes us feel good. Something exciting, like a marriage seminar, like Woman Thou Art lost. We are tired of manna. We have fried it. We have baked it. We have put butter on it. We have put ketchup and mustard on it. We are tired of this bread. It's miserable bread. We are tired of hearing only about Jesus. Because it's about the manna and it's about Jesus. And they say we are tired of that. And how many professing Christians have complained and continue to complain that they have heard too much about Jesus. They love this miserable gospel of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time What about me? When are you going to start talking about me? What about my own menu options? When are we going to talk about my own cooking? And God says, okay, let's do it this way. (laughs) Listen, to God's response. God says, I am going to press you back to Jesus. I'll do this by giving you things that bite you. And they'll bite you back to Jesus they will bite you until you look back to my son and you shall only have victory over those serpent bites only when you look back again to my raised son, the raised bronze serpent. But then the people rose up and they ran to Moses and said, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. The people come to their intercessor before God. They make a prayer request. That's a prayer. They make a prayer request, but with a suggestion on how they wanted the matter to be resolved. They say, Moses, yes, we acknowledge that we have sinned, but pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. You tell him exactly what we think. Things have to be done. Talk to the Lord that He removes the sickness from us. Talk to the Lord that He stops giving us the same gospel over and over. We are tired of that menu. See, God did not answer their request the way they wanted. What did He do? He left the fiery serpents. He left the trials. But He raised a bronze serpent. And took them back to Christ again. (laughs) And God is saying, you cannot run away from my son. If he's not in the manna, you're going to find him in the raised bronze serpent. You have no other option. You cannot run away from my son. You are going to have to learn about him whether you like it or not. I will bring more trials in your life and cause you to look again and again to this raised bronze serpent or else you will die. So this bronze serpent preached Jesus as the man preached Jesus. God did not remove the provision of Christ from them. He did not stop preaching about his son and the gospel. If you don't like the manna, God is going to give you the fiery serpents and the raised bronze serpent. What what is that saying? What really is the issue with that? God is saying, don't get tired of my son. God is saying, prioritize the preaching and hearing of my son. So we can't stop preaching Christ. And we can't stop believing in Christ. And so if you belong to him, this is not an issue if you don't belong to him. But if you belong to Christ and he died for you, and then in your foolishness you try to find satisfaction in you and in some things that are not in him, he will send you the fiery serpents to cause you to look back again to him. And he will not remove the fiery serpents because as they keep biting you, You keep looking to Christ. (laughs) As you keep getting beaten, you keep going to the throne of grace to find help in the time of need. And so as the fiery serpents were not removed, and so God has not removed sin away from us and has not removed sicknesses from us, that we may continue to be weak, that his power may be perfected in us. See also this. See that it is God who sent the fiery serpents to Israel. It is he who did it. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to tell the devil to send fiery serpents. The Lord sent the fiery serpents. It is the Lord who chose what he was going to bring. He chose the trial. He could have brought scorpions. He could have brought something else. He would have brought hyenas that would just be like giggling and laughing all night. It is God who sent the messenger of Satan to buffet Paul. It is God who did it. And it is God who brought sickness to Lazarus. He did it. And that is sovereignty. That's sovereignty. But all things work together for good. To all who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All these things, all these trials, all these fiery serpents are to your good that you may continue to look to the one who died for you. And that is why when you come to Christ, things get worse before they actually get better. Because God is pressing you to his son. So what is the solution to your serpent bite? Look to Christ. What is the solution to your coldness if you're going through a slump? The solution is not to look away from the of serpent. The solution is to look back to Christ. There's no other formula that God has given us outside looking back to his son. That is the only formula that works in all things. And that is the reason why God seems to delay and wait two more days. He is working faith. He is growing faith. He is pressing us towards Christ. He is working patience in us. And this he does to all those whom he loves because everyone whom the Lord loves he chastens. These that he knows their names. He does not spare them the tears of trials, but he gives them the tears of joy at the end when he shows up. Why? Because. This sickness, these trials is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The Son of God is glorified in every trial that God sends our way. Praise the Lord. And that is our gospel. And next week, we take a different angle on that particular verse and work the gospel from it again. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We bless your name for this sickness that did not lead unto death. Lord, we pray and we thank you for the assurance that you had the prayer. You had the prayer that the one whom you loved was sick. And even though you waited two more days, it was not because you did not care. Because we already had that you loved them. You waited for two more days that the glory of God may be displayed in the salvation of Lazarus, even in the salvation of your people. So Lord, we just pray and we thank you for the sicknesses that you have brought, the trials that you have brought, and we have the assurance that they are not unto death, but unto your glory. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to glorify yourself in us, and you continue to Press us back to Christ that we may find our hope in him. We pray and we thank you for this teaching. May you give your people ears to hear, those who have been appointed to hear. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.